0: This episode of Mission Log is brought to you by HostGator.com. Do you need to launch your own website? If you're looking for one of the easiest ways to register, host, and build your site, you should check out HostGator.com. They have tools to help you get started immediately, whether you're transferring a domain or building your site from scratch. So, you know, all you fans who want to open up, here's a look at my RobotGuts.com or drcorbyforever.net or KenIsSecretlyARobot.org. You can just head over to HostGator.com and have that up before we're done with today's episode. Speaking of DrCorbyForever.net, a .NET address is the best way to get a good domain name these days. Grab your .NET today. It gets better, though. HostGator has 24-7 tech support on the phone, live chat, or email, and you can choose from shared or dedicated servers. All that plus packages that include unlimited storage and unlimited bandwidth. Order now with the coupon code MISSIONLOG, and you'll get 30% off at HostGator.com.
1: Now entering Nerdist.com. Mission Log, A Roddenberry Star Trek Podcast. Episode 70. Let that be your last battlefield.
2: Welcome to another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John
0: Champion. Each week... We watch an episode of Star Trek a time or two, or seven. Then, just like some of your best musicians, we break it down. We make it funky, sifting through it for messages, morals, and meanings, and trying to
2: determine whether the episode holds up today. We would, of course, love to hear your thoughts on any episode we cover, or any episode that we're going to cover. There are lots of ways to get in touch with us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. The handle is Pod. You can call us, 323-522-5641. You can email us, missionlog at roddenberry.com. And, of course, don't forget to check out our website, uh, missionlogpodcast.com. That's sort of a go-to place. If you miss us on all of those others, any big news, any big happenings, any big you know upcoming things for Mission Log, uh, you'll find it, missionlogpodcast.com. And then all those other places with all those other comment things. Don't forget, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Riddle me this, John. What episode of Star Trek are we doing today?
0: Boom. That, yes. Boom. Yes. Uh, uh, how better of an appropriate leading joke than that, <laughs> than Riddle Me This. Uh, Ken, today we're doing Let That Be Your Last Battlefield, uh, the, the I think, so so iconically known episode. You know, there are a handful that that, that we've we've come to in uh, discussing the original series of Star Trek, where just you say and even if you haven't seen it in decades, you know exactly what we're talking about. Let that be your last battlefield with the half black, half white aliens who uh, fight each other on the
2: Enterprise. Well, hold on. I think only one of them is half white, half black. I think the other one is half black, half white.
0: Oh see, I missed the whole thing. Yeah, I guess I'm gonna have to go back and watch it again before we uh,
2: before we do the show. Yeah, I guess. I, I you know, I, I guess I sort of tipped the, the trivia hand a tiny bit when I said the whole riddle-me this thing. Let's let's not keep people in suspense. Uh please hit me with that trivia shot. Well first and foremost, Frank Gorshin.
0: Yeah. So in two weeks, We have had exactly two 1960s Batman stars. Uh, Frank Horshin, of course, played the Riddler on Batman, and he was fantastic. Um, I love him as a bad guy. Uh, It's interesting to see how he got his start. I didn't really know a lot about his career. Um, He started at 17 years old by winning a talent contest. He grew up in Pittsburgh. He worked as an usher at a theater. He would kind of do impressions of uh, famous actors, and then somebody he said, hey, you gotta, ought gotta to do this talent contest. And he won it. And then that kind of pushed him along in his uh, direction to become an actor. Uh, I mentioned that he did impressions. And that was actually one of the things he was best known for doing. Um, look him up on YouTube. Look up Frank Gorshin impressions. He's fantastic. Uh, I, I watched clips of him on the, uh, the Ed Sullivan show, the Dean Martin show, doing all kinds of characters. It was really a lot of fun because – I always just picture him as a bad guy, but there he is doing stand-up, doing impressions. He, he's pretty great. Um, I mentioned that he did The Ed Sullivan Show. Most famously, he was on the February 9th, 1964 episode of The Ed Sullivan Show. Ken, why <laughs> does nobody remember Frank Gorshin from the February 9th, 1964 episode of The Ed Sullivan Show? Did,
2: did he follow them?
0: Uh, well, I, I don't know that he followed them. I actually don't know the running order right. for that episode. So, but yeah, that of course was the Beatles, and uh, pretty much, it doesn't matter who you were on oh, like, that episode of Sullivan.
2: Talk about man! Talk about being doubly forgotten, though. In the Billy Crystal movie Mister Saturday Night, mm-hmm. Billy Crystal had I can't remember what the what the comedian's name was that Billy Crystal played in that, but he played a comedian who was sort of like hard luck all through his career. Yeah, And his hard luck story, one of his biggest hard luck stories, was he was the comedian on the episode when the Beatles premiered. So Frank Gorshin <laughs> nice. is really getting double shafted, not, right. not only by being forgotten for being on that episode. But then Billy Crystal makes his little movie, which, you know, in fairness, a lot of people have forgotten as well. Right, um, Billy Crystal makes his movie and just, yeah, let's just write Frank Gorshin out there. You know what? I'll, I'll, do, I'll take the Frank Gorshin bit. Yeah, and, that'll and not, be not even mention now. him. Right. right. Exactly. <laughs> right. We'll just make right. this a fictitious comedian because that didn't actually happen to any real. Excuse me, Frank. I'm sorry. That didn't actually happen to any real comedian. What? <laughs> what, Frank Gorsh? Oh. 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 Is, sorry. Is my face covered in prosthetic makeup?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um. You know, he died younger than I thought. Uh, Frank Gorshin passed away in 2005. He was 72 years old. When he did Star Trek, that would have made him about, th- I believe, I figured it was about 34, 35. So, you know, close to Shatner's age mm-hmm. at that time. He
2: always kind of looked and played a little older, I thought. Um uh, I would have but, thought. I would have thought from his turn in Twelve Monkeys, which honestly is my favorite thing. That I mean, just because I love the movie Twelve Monkeys, I would have thought from mm-hmm. his turn in that that he would have already been about that age then. But Twelve Monkeys, I think, came out in ninety somewhere between ninety four and ninety seven. I want to say ninety six. I'm not a hundred percent on that, but I Sounds would have right thought. Right. I would have thought he was that old then. So that's kind of a uh, interesting.
0: He also played older in uh, a, a pretty easily forgotten TV movie that I enjoyed uh, called Goliath Awaits. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. I think it came out in 1981. Uh, TV movie in which uh, a, a World War II-era ocean liner sinks um, and it is discovered some 40 years later. And because of an air bubble, there are survivors and they have this own creepy, dystopic uh, uh, society they've created for themselves and and of course the heavy the bad guy is uh the frank gorshin character and he's just great in that but even then they kind of made him look a little older than he really was but yeah what what a cool and interesting actor and after seeing him play all these bad guys it was kind of a lot of fun to watch clips of him just cutting loose and and being funny and hanging with dino I thought that was probably <laughs> the most entertaining thing that I saw. Um, we also need to mention Lou Antonio. He plays Lokai in this episode, uh, less well-known as an actor than Frank Gorshin, uh, But he did have a few standout credits on TV and uh, a lot of Westerns under his belt. Um, but he worked primarily as a director, e- even from back then and continuing up uh, almost until today, uh, including a very long stint directing Boston Legal starring none other than Bill Shatner. Hmm. So it's kind of cool tie-in there. Yeah. Um, this episode was originally titled Portrait in Black and White. It was written by Lee Cronin, a.k.a. Gene Kuhn. And it was written actually during the first season. Late 1966 was the original story pitch. For this episode it was accepted by gene roddenberry but it was rejected by their studio rep at the time stanley robertson and uh, let me tell you there was always a little tension between the studio rep and the production on star trek stanley robertson was kind of known for writing these memos just rejecting and outright tearing apart uh, story ideas and production ideas this did not sit well with Gene, the original uh, rejection of the story. Eventually, it got reworked and got approved. And uh, one of the reasons it got approved, here we are, very late in Star Trek's run, was that the network could save money by reworking an old story that had already been paid for. So it was kind of just a, a cost cutting maneuver. It was like, okay, well, we rejected it, but uh, okay, well, we're running out. So here, just do the story anyway. Um, In the original plans of this story, the color separation of the aliens was going to be top and bottom rather than side by side, uh, white and black. Uh, That was director Judd Taylor's call. Uh, You may remember that he directed The Paradise Syndrome and Wink of an Eye. He has a couple of more credits coming up before we wrap up the third season. And um, it was kind of a last minute decision Uh, to do the black and white as the color separation at all, and then a very last-minute decision to do that as a a, uh, how would you call that, bilateral left and right, rather than a horizontal uh, color separation on the aliens. I mentioned before Last week, the episode that aired was actually the uh, first episode without Bob Justman. This, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield, was the last episode that Bob Justman actively worked on as co-producer. So now we see that dividing line in the production schedule. Um, And I also want to mention, you know, back when we did um, uh, The Apple, I I mentioned uh, to great amusement uh, that toy uh, uh, from Gamma 6 uh, that, that was a Amigo release toy that is so hard to find and so cool. Well, one of the many alien figures that was le- uh, released by Amigo in the mid-70s was uh, uh, the Sharon alien, half black, half white. And uh, I wanted to mention it here because there are a lot of those figures that just never looked right. They did a terrible job on the Gorn. They did a terrible <laughs> job on something they called the Keeper, which sort of resembles one of the Tolosians, but, but really evil looking, like fangs, and it's just strange. And on this, they did the whole costume black and white. So the, the figure has one white boot, one black boot, and then the the outfit is divided black and white. So very, very not what they look like in the actual episode. But I don't know, maybe it's what they look like when they're not wearing that uh, that gray sweatshirt. <laughs>
1: If Frank Gorshin started as an impressionist, does that mean that anyone who says, Riddle me this, is doing an impersonation of an impersonator? Hey, check me out. I do a great rich little.
0: Prologue. The Enterprise is on its way to planet Arianus to help out with a bacterial infection. Everybody take a Zithromax, and let's move ahead. Before they can arrive, a shuttlecraft, one that was reported stolen a couple of weeks ago, appears on the view screen, and the crew guided into the Enterprise hangar bay. Kirk and Spock head down to find a guy who passes out. But passed out isn't the most remarkable thing about him. Rather, he looks humanoid, but split right down the middle. Half of him is white. The other half is black. Act 1. In sickbay, McCoy is working to bring the stranger back to consciousness. Spock is a little perplexed, remarking that this person's skin color is an oddity, but not completely out of the question, genetically speaking. must be a -a one-of-a-kind genetic anomaly. When he wakes up, the mystery man says he is the loci from the planet Charon. Kirk accuses him of stealing the shuttlecraft from Starbase 4, but loci snaps back that he was fully justified. If only Kirk knew what he had been through. Q&A time is over. Kirk, back on the bridge, is alerted to the appearance... Well, that's not really the right word. The suspicion and possible evidence of an invisible ship. It's cloaked or something, but they know for sure it's traveling at high speed directly toward the Enterprise. At the last moment, the invisible ship disintegrates, and out of nowhere, some dude shows up on the bridge. Only this some dude is half-white and half-black, too... Or rather, half black and half white. Act 2. The new stranger introduces himself as Commissioner Beale, also from the planet Charon. He is in pursuit of loci, a political prisoner. And if only Kirk would be so kind as to hand over the prisoner, they'll be on their way. Kirk reminds Beale who's in charge. Um, That would be Kirk, for those of you just getting the hang of this. Kirk takes Beale to Lokai, and boy, how the sparks do fly. No, it's not a love match. The accusations start flying. Lokai was a revolutionary fighting his oppressors. Well, at least, according to Lokai. If you ask Beale, Lokai is a criminal who carved a path of death and destruction against the people of Sharon. In any case, Kirk isn't going to take sides, and he offers to take them to Starbase 4 to settle the case of the stolen shuttle after they finish the mission to Arianas. That simply won't do for Beale. Then, everything goes haywire. The ship's systems are not responding, and Scotty can I handle it, or something like that. The Enterprise is heading way off course at warp 10, straight toward, well, you guessed it, Sharon. Beale used some kind of mind power to steer the ship, and he is determined to get Lokai back home to face trial. Clearly, Beale never watched Star Trek because he hasn't heard that you don't mess with Kirk's ship. Security is called, but they're no good. Not even a phaser blast can stop Beale, since he and Loki have a kind of personal force field. No matter, Kirk will blow up the Enterprise, and he is not bluffing. The codes are given, the computer acknowledges, and it looks like the Enterprise is about to be dust. Act 3. At the last second... Beale gives in, and Kirk cancels the auto-destruct. We're now back on the road to Arianus, and Kirk gives his two guests a good talking to. He does offer them the opportunity to wander freely, as long as they don't interfere with the mission. A little while later, Spock overhears Loki talking to some of the other crew members. He hears about persecution, which the crew can only understand as something that happened in the past. In a bit of a different setting, Kirk and Beale sit down for a drink. While they await orders from Starfleet command, the orders are that Beel and Lokai are to go through due process for extradition. Meanwhile, the mission to Arianas continues. Beel grudgingly accepts the orders, and he lets on a little more of what the nature of their problem is. Beel is black on the right half of his body and white on the left, while Lokai is the exact opposite. What's the problem? Well, just look at him. Spock sees an opportunity to spread a little love through logic. The people of Vulcan were once prone to the kind of irrational hate he sees in them. Only through applied logic were they able to survive. Beale is like, yeah, 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 thanks for the story there, but this is a fundamental difference. It's a Sharon thing you wouldn't understand. Spock also drops a little lesson in Darwinism on Beale, hoping he'll get it, that his people share a common genetic ancestry. Finally... We've arrived at beautiful Arianus, and the mission can be carried out to help wipe out the infecting agent on the surface. This is a very complicated scientific procedure that involves pushing a couple of buttons on the Enterprise while it cruises overhead a couple of times. Then it's on to Starbase 4. Oh, wait. There's something wrong with the computers now. It's Beale again. He's wielding his strange power over machines to show how he is once again back in control of the Enterprise. Act four. Okay, so we're not going to Starbase four. Three guesses where we're headed now, and the first two don't count. That's right, Sharon. But why wait until we get back to Sharon when Lokai and Beale can start fighting each other now? And that's exactly what they do. Kirk intervenes to say, hey, instead of killing each other here and now, why not give me control of the Enterprise? Beale does. Now they are quite close to Sharon. And an image comes on the view screen. Spock runs a scan of the planet to find, well, not much. Cities are there, but there are no inhabitants. All the people of Sharon are dead. The news does not sit too well with Beal or Lokai, who are once again at each other's throats. Kirk makes a last offer. They will end up dead if they don't stop hating, but here is a chance to stay and make peace. When Lokai leaves, Beal chases after him, Kirk defeated, lets them go. The two weave through the Enterprise corridors where eventually Loci makes his way to the transporter room and beams himself down to the charred, empty surface of Charon. A moment later, Beale does the same thing. So there they are, alone together on a burnt-out planet locked in their chase. Nothing the crew of the Enterprise can do about it. Time to turn it around and return that
2: shuttle to Starbase 4. Quite the episode. Here, here, Yeah. Yeah. I know we're not supposed to say that yet. Never mind. Whoa. Look at that. <laughs> that was an episode, huh? That was an episode Ever of Star done? Trek right there. Yeah. yeah well, no, we'll get was. to the part of whether it was quite an episode or not later. Let's just assume though it was an episode. How's that? It was
0: an episode of Star Trek. It was. Yeah. They, they tend
2: to be. You can often tell because, uh, you know, they involve the cast of Star Trek and the credits <laughs> from Star Trek, and we're talking about it, although we yeah. have been known to talk about A couple of other things. I'm looking at you, Kolchak. All right.
0: (laughs) That's what's known in the business as a callback. Good job.
2: Hello. Okay. And that's Uh, what's known as Ned McMahon imitation. Go ahead.
0: Right. Uh, Kirk says, oh, Sharon, that's in the southernmost part of the galaxy. And all I could think was uh, barbecue and mint juleps, <laughs> <laughs> because I don't know how you determine south when you're talking about the galaxy.
2: Yeah. I'm also kind of curious about the OK. So everybody. OK, so. So um, what's his name? I've already forgotten, you know, because we're lo-chi- nearly lo-chi- done with this episode. Huh? Loki. Thank yeah. you. Loki um, has heard of the Enterprise. The Enterprise has heard of Sharon but Sharon is in an uncharted part of the galaxy and we had no idea that they were either half white half black or half black half white
1: right and can i yes. just say really
2: quickly i mean i don't know if we've made it clear yet for i can't imagine anybody's listening to this who has not watched the episode
0: mm-hmm.
2: we're not talking about caucasian and and of african descent no we are no, talking no. about like okay you you pull out your crayons grab the white one and color on yeah. half the page grab the black one and color on half the page that's, I mean, that's what we're talking about. We're talking strictly right. colors here, right? So, right. I, mean, just, I mean, I can't imagine that anybody listening to this has not also watched it. But just in case, this is a very stark representation. Mm-hmm. Probably ought to make that a tiny bit clearer. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't understand how they all knew so much about each other, but they left out this one thing. Anything <laughs> you, we should know about Sharon? Nah, nothing I could think of. <laughs> no, no. Uh, well, really. it's south, so you know, dress, dress, you know, for warmer weather. I guess, I don't know, (laughs) except it would also be at the edge of the galaxy, so maybe a little cooler. It's deciduous. It's a deciduous part of the galaxy. Yeah. Otherwise, I can't think of anything I should tell you about them.
0: I, I kept trying to think about it, and I, all I could liken that to is a sort of like whenever you see one of those uh, results of geography tests, you know, particularly Americans do very badly at this, and they, it, you know, you say, okay, point to Afghanistan on a map, or point to New Zealand on a map, and then it's just completely wrong. It's sort of like you've heard the word before, and you know it. It exists somewhere, but you just have no idea anything about it. I kind of thought that's what was
2: going on. You here. know what? I, you know what I tried to do is I tried to stand pretty far away from the map, and that way when they say that, yeah, you know, I'm like, ah, I'm pointing right at it.
0: Yeah. You yeah like, no, you're putting. No, no, no. I'm pointing at it. No, really. I'm, I I'm looking. Really, right there. Right, Wherever you're looking, I'm looking there.
2: It's right there. You point at it. See, that's where I was pointing. What? Uh-huh. Yeah. All right.
0: I'm glad to see, you know, you've mentioned many times before about how on Star Trek we don't remember what happened in the weeks before. But they actually remember when they start getting chased by the invisible ship. Uh, Could be a cloaking device. Could it be a Romulan?
2: Yeah. Hey,
0: they they actually remember that much.
2: (laughs) Could it be a cost saving move?
0: (laughs) I, I, (laughs) I, I think you may be right. I am
2: assuming that that's why we have an invisible ship
0: yes and and it was exactly why we have an invisible it was
2: fairly well played (laughs) Mm -hmm. but as soon as he just pops up there and he's like oh yeah sorry about that my ship was invisible and it disintegrated on your ship but there was no damage but really there was a ship (laughs) okay all right right. and that saved us what twenty thousand this week good Uh move on that'll be more for the for the i'm really sorry about your show party coming up in a few weeks spoiler alert okay Right.
0: Um, also, hey, but we did not spare one penny on the Zoom cam effect on the Red Alert. <laughs> no, we did not. I'm really excited to see that.
2: Yeah, that was uh, kind of neat. I also love how, you know, they go to Red Alert and nobody uh, in the corridor cares. Oh no! It was it was an amazing shot actually because it's like oh red alert we get, we better show how excited and they cut to outside in the corridor where all the red alert alert lights are actually lighting up and people are just like do 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 walking <laughs> along nobody's <laughs> rushing this is something they did to great effect in the movies later and sorry yeah, totally. we're breaking the timeline because we're pretty close yeah. to the end of uh, season three which sure, still yeah. is blowing my mind but I know. yeah I mean you, you even like move toward the red alert button on the bridge. And Mm -hmm. people start running, right? Mm -hmm. Not in the original Mm -hmm. series.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, and unfortunately, there's a lot of use of um, stock footage. You know, you just have people in a corridor and then you don't have the time or the money to bring in extras to shoot a new scene of people freaking out running to the halls. I mean, it's really a shame because it's one of those, oh, you know, what could have been if that had only been done a little bit differently to enhance the the idea of uh, the danger that they're in. But no, no, they're just kind of Wondering, yeah
2: okay there's another shot that i've seen i've noticed it in particular in like the last three episodes now and i think i Mm notice it because we have walter koenig sitting Mm -hmm. at the console right when something is happening and then we take that sort of that wide shot of the bridge oh yeah yeah Yeah, the back of walter koenig's head will be played by some guy who's like a foot taller and blonde right (laughs) kind of yeah oh yeah it's uh he looks different from behind
0: yeah, well, you know, they they kept changing the wig. So you just tell yourself that. Yeah.
2: That's what it is.
0: That's exactly what it is. Um, the people of Sharon live a really long time. Mm-hmm. 50,000 years they have been in this struggle. And you have to assume that there were many, many years before that to actually get to the point where they
2: kicked off this chase. Yeah, he's only so, been chasing him for 50,000 years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Get a hobby.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean –
2: Um, Maybe there's
0: a difference in the way they measure years there. I mean, he he says specifically that it is 50,000 Earth-like years or Terran years. Well, he said
2: terrestrial, I believe.
0: Yeah. yeah, Which I
2: guess still leaves it open. But yeah. These aren't aren't wink of an eye years.
0: Uh, Another thing that I liked about this, uh, there's a great shot. Spock eavesdropping on Lokai's shadow as he talks to the crew. So you have Spock in the foreground. You have a little – I'm not really sure. Is that a door? Is that a window? Whatever. It doesn't matter. We've never seen it before. Um, and then you look through that to our crew guys sitting at a table – You hear Lokai's voice and you see his shadow on the wall far behind them as they are watching him talk. It is a great, great shot. And overall, I think we have some incredibly creative camera work. I made fun of the the Zoom cam on the red alert. Mm -hmm. Barring that, I I think we have some really creative camera work in this episode. Well done because we've kind of – we hit that slump where it wasn't very creative you had that trade-off where we lost uh ralph sinensky as director and then you moved the the dp up to director and all, all these kind of strange sort of missteps and, and we had some very uh shall we say pedestrian <laughs> camera work and shots going on yeah. uh, but I, I thought that was cool and uh and a lot of it throughout the episode and, and speaking of spock we say goodbye to Enforcer Spock and hello to eavesdropping Spock. <laughs> you know, <laughs> who then goes
2: really quickly to the grown-up staple though. He does. <laughs> you know, I mean, I it's like, that. it's like next segment. He's all of a sudden, he's like, yeah, I've been sitting here the whole time. What are you talking about?
0: Yeah. <laughs> right. Right.
2: And we'll, you know, yeah, that was kind of a, uh... it's weird actually that you mentioned that there is some really tremendous camera work in here. We don't have mad cam mm-hmm. quite, you know, which mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a huge fan of, but yeah. Um, at the same time, you do. it, I mean, that 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 goofy like zoom on the on the red alert thing is really bad, and in fact, poorly edited at one point. Oh yeah. yeah, because they're like they're zooming in and out, and they're in sick bay, and so it's supposed to be zoom in, zoom out, zoom in, zoom out, zoom in, and then pan down to Lokai. Mm-hmm. But it, they actually started to pan down a little bit on one of the zooms, and it just—I mean, it 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 it. it it didn't ruin the moment for me, but I was like, wow, that's glaring. But then there was just yeah. so much other stuff. You're right. There's so much fantastic camera work. I mean, so much. I would like to see the storyboards for this episode, assuming there were storyboards for this episode, right. because some of those right. drawings have to be awesome. And there's one there's one part in particular that we'll get to in a little bit.
0: OK, cool. It was just uh, incredible.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, another little moment. Um Kirk says that they have an intergalactic treaty. I think really he means that are interplanetary. As far as I know, <laughs> we haven't uh, uh, we haven't gone out to another galaxy except for by any other name and even then we had to turn that trip right around
2: and uh and not complete that mission. That well no, there time. was also uh there was another one with um Daner yeah.
0: Oh, well, we, we, we go through the galactic barrier. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We don't actually get to another galaxy in order to extend a treaty. That's to, true. Uh, to uh, another galaxy. That's true. That we don't. Be,
2: I'm not even sure yeah. you can call this one a, a like galactic treaty, though, because here are these guys in our galaxy. And we're like, uh, we've got a galactic treaty and you're not part of it. So <laughs> right. we really can't right. do what you say because, you know, we've decided on this whole thing for the galaxy that you're not covered by. <laughs> right, it's like universal health care, but not for you. But not for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's uh, you know, it's really it, it, it's all encompassing asterisk. Okay.
0: <laughs> uh, one thing we can't agree on is it. said it again. Kirk says sabotage. Yep. He sure did. In. Yep. Yep. So that, that justifies every time he says sabotage again later, and he has that argument. Please, people, if you don't know what we're talking about, look up the William Shatner sabotage clip. <laughs> You'll love it. Um, by the way, uh, so yeah, the, the ship, we mentioned that the ship is empty many, many times.
1: Yeah.
0: And, uh, and while Loki and Beale are just running around. Um, but I kind of like how Kirk gave that order. I, I kind of like how he just sort of said, yeah, where are
2: they going to go? Just let him We're go. We're on a ship. Yeah. yeah just let them go. Yeah. never. I mean, forget about the part last week where somebody near, or a week before last where somebody nearly blew up the ship.
0: It, well, exactly. Just I by letting him go. That. I hope they I put, like a, I like said, a security card or something to get into engine. <laughs> Maybe Other than that, they can go anywhere.
2: Have a guy posted there now. So if anybody tries to duck in there, just be like, nah, keep moving. Yeah, no, nothing right. to see here. Seriously, just keep on going because otherwise it ends poorly. Yeah, uh, the thing that kind of and yeah, it sounds like we're nitpicking. I I, I want to go ahead and say what I think of this episode, but I won't. So I'll keep nitpicking, and then people will find okay. out. Um, all of a sudden, we can track people. Oh, yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Right, I mean, we, right. we've had so many times where we don't know where somebody is on the ship, but Spock's like, you know, watching it like they've got a, you know, like, like he's watching an Olympic marathon or something like, oh, he's just yeah. he's just going around Heartbreak Hill now. Oh, look at him. He's tearing <laughs> right. up there. And and oh, Beale's not far behind. It's yeah. like able to track the whole thing when we've never it's like, you know, if people have gotten lost on the Enterprise a million times as far as the uh, as far as the bridge was concerned. I will say there is one thing that I mean, Kirk's got to love when they run into aliens who know nothing about the Federation or almost nothing. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, Loki had heard of the Enterprise, okay, mm-hmm. and he could fly mm-hmm. a you know Federation shuttle or a, you know Starship shuttle, but
0: sure, would work a transporter. Yeah, yeah well,
2: you know, just <laughs> right. what? Just slide and you're done. Slide it up, yeah. slide it down, you're done. Um, yeah, he's got to love that when you like come across people who don't know anything about it because he can make up like you know all kinds of stuff and they pretty much got no choice to, but to believe him, right? Like the whole like the whole Corbumite thing with Baylock. It's like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. we got this thing blow you up, so you know <laughs> right. leave us alone. And he does, and then like you know, he's he's telling Jan Sharonans, Hey, you know, we live in peace. We don't resort to violence this week <laughs> as far as you know.
1: I can't wait to get to the end of this episode to find out what the guys thought of Let That Be Your Last Battlefield.
2: I'm going to go ahead and blow it right now and say I love this episode. Okay. I'm just going to go ahead and do that. I'm going to go ahead and blow it right now and say I love this episode. So anything that we bring up that sounds nitpicky or that sounds like, you know, this is an episode that is very much worth questioning. You mm-hmm. go back a couple of weeks to The Empath, and that was really an episode that was worth lampooning. I mean, yeah. that, that was an episode that was just – you had to do something to survive it. Mm-hmm. This is an episode that I think is honestly worth examining. And so there are going to be some things that are going to be like, wow, this is so awesome. And there are going to be some things that it's kind of like, mm-hmm, kind of curious about that. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to start with one of the kind of curious things. But understand, I think this is a tremendous episode. So – when we, yeah. get to the, when we get to the last part of the show, turn it off because you, know, you, you don't even need going. to hear it. right? <laughs> right. <laughs> We've already told you how to get in touch with this, too. So, seriously, whenever you're done, <clears throat> can we talk about Kirk's willingness to destroy the Enterprise? Oh, let's. Had he been willing to do this to stop, you know, injustice or racial injustice or, you know, anything like that, I would have been perfectly okay with that. Um, I would hope that they would find a different way to do it. So, I guess, I, I guess it's not fair to say it would be perfectly okay, but I would be understanding Right. He's about to kill this guy. And so Kirk's going to be like, all right, you know what? You're going to kill us all then because that's how this is going to go. Right. Yeah. If they determine there was no other way. um, At the point that he goes to blow up the Enterprise, we have no idea why these two guys hate each other. We don't know that it's because one's half this and half the other while the other is half the other half this. Right. As stupid as that sounds. Right. right. We just know that Beale has taken over the Enterprise and Kirk has no control at this point. Now, I guess I get having to control <laughs> to blow up the enterprise at that point, but I'm less okay with it for some reason when it's based you know not on justice and more on just the order of things mm-hmm. um it's a great scene it's a great montage this is the part that I, well not a montage it's a great series of cuts. This is what I was talking about. I wish we could see the the storyboards for this because yeah. I mean they're fantastic i mean just yeah. the close ups of the eyes i mean it's 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 like a, it's it's like um like a gunfight in a Western, you know, it's
0: fantastic.
2: We're yeah. at that standoff now where we're just like, you know, we can't read exactly what's going to happen. It really is. It really is tremendous. Um,
0: it was a brilliant way to build tension without yeah. having to force action. Yeah. that That's what that is really good at.
2: Yeah. yeah. But I, um, but can we talk about the fact that he was willing to blow up the enterprise? Also, Nobody but the people on the bridge knew that he was about to blow up the Enterprise, right? I I know, I know. Which I guess, you know, what are they going to do? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, you give them that, that, that 30 seconds, they might actually, you know... Materialize a few pitchforks and come running at the at the
0: bridge. Right. I mean, so, you're the guy down in uh, down in the galley uh, putting together the Thanksgiving meatloafs Yeah. And uh, and you hear this order come through. Maybe there's a countdown in there, and you're like, okay, do I do I put them in the oven or <laughs> right, do I right. not?
2: Right. Do I just? Yeah. Attention, people of the Enterprise. This is the captain speaking. Somebody won't do what I said, so yeah, I'm gonna blow up the Enterprise. Right. Thirty seconds. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, again, it's it's a Kirk. It's it's the bluff that was not a bluff.
2: It was not a bluff. No, it was not a bluff. Right. I really. And that's the thing. I really got that sense. And here's you know, here's what's stupid. I know that the episode I mean, I I know they're not going to die, you know, Mm -hmm. 50 years hindsight. I know they're not they're not going to die. But even watching that week, I think I know they're not going to die. And yet there was still there was a decent amount of tension there
0: yeah well he played it great yeah. and uh, shatner the actor as kirk played it right it, just sitting there uh, with his elbow on the edge of the captain's chair mm-hmm. and hand a little bit in front of his mouth and just staring down
2: beale was great and not At even like moment, except when you say staring down he's not even staring him down angry i mean this is not no. this is not no, no, mad no. kirk this is just no. all right here's here's what's going to happen Yeah. Again, though, you you seem to be avoiding the part where we talk about whether or not that's what should happen.
0: Well, okay, here's the thing, though. Uh, Yeah, I, I get what you mean, that had we truly understood the insanity of Beale's mission, that you would understand better the willingness to... (laughs) <laughs> to say okay, I, I'm I'm willing to take this the step that we destroy the enterprise. Right. Here's right. the thing though: at this point in the episode, uh, Beale and Loki are still a bit of an unknown quantity. Sharon is an unknown quantity. We actually don't know what Beale's mission is. Um, let's say that worst case scenario, Beale is you know waiting to take the Enterprise back to Sharon to load it up full of weapons, or he has other. Other powers, other abilities, other intentions that we don't know about. And if he is so willing to hijack the enterprise to go do this, what is he willing to do next? Mm-hmm. So I can see the justification to some extent. I, I get it. It's kind of a sudden. It's like, okay, well, we're going to blow it up. Too bad everybody,
2: 30 seconds,
0: done. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know?
2: Well, too bad um, to everybody within the sound of my voice.
0: Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, he didn't even give him the courtesy of the Corbinite speech where he, you know, gets sort of a loudspeaker and, <laughs> and right. tells people what's going to happen. Right. Um, so I, I kind of get it. Uh, it Beale has shown that he can wield power. He has shown that he can steal the Enterprise. So how do you match that power except with more power? Yeah. Um, and that was the last thing in, in Kirk's defense. So, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. But I but I think that's the only justification that I can kind of get out of that.
2: Yeah. And don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that Kirk shouldn't have done that. It mm-hmm. just it. I mean, it. we got there really quickly. And there's also something about it that doesn't quite sit right with me. But yeah, I don't totally. think but I don't think there was anything else he could do. I think though, if I'm Sulu and Chekhov, you know, after like just when they're you know off by themselves someplace, there might be a little bit of man that that escalated quickly. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it (laughs) didn't because 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 we tried to shoot them on stun, then we decided to blow up the Enterprise. I'm thinking, Mm -hmm. (laughs) stick with me. Mm -hmm. The shields are pretty good. Maybe if we set the phasers a little bit higher than stun, it just ends up stunning them.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, As opposed
2: you to you know, uh, well, it's a, have we tried everything else yet? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I mean, it, and yet it was a it was a fantastic dramatic part of the part of the yeah. episode. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Totally. Um, there's a moment uh, we have to de- describe here where Lokai is being kind of grilled by Kirk when they first take him And he's in uh, sick bay, where he talks about being justified in stealing the ship. If only you had known what was happening to me and and this is sort of like saying that the end does justify the means we don't know Lokai's journey mm-hmm. um and you know this is sort of that that wishy-washy and i don't mean that in a bad way it's this nebulous moral ground um we don't know what Lokai was uh, was facing we don't know what the situation was <laughs> Had we known, would we even have helped him <laughs> to do what he intended to do? But in this case, he he did break at least well our law, and uh, there being no distribution uh, uh, of uh, uh, extradition laws in this case, he would have to go back to Starbase Four to uh, at least stand for stealing a shuttlecraft, even if the even if he was justified doing it.
2: Yeah, there was a little oh. um, Jean Valjean and um, Javert. Mm-hmm. That's honestly what I got out of it. Just totally. Of the whole, totally. Like, yeah, there's no yeah. question about, okay, well, did he need the bread to live? It was just, you know, well, he, he stole bread and he's not allowed to steal bread. So I have to chase yeah, him and yeah. I have to chase him forever. Yeah. Um, I wonder, well, <laughs> tune into my Lay Miz podcast next week. <laughs> right. um, I mean, I don't know that Javert actually hated Jean Valjean for who he was. He just felt like the law was being, you know, broken. Yeah. And and yeah. certainly um, Beale was was a bit more than that, because yeah. he's quick with the racial epithets. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, they don't sound like them to us, but he's he's all about them. You know, yeah. As soon yeah. as as soon as he's just pressed a tiny bit,
0: right? Um, can we talk about their powers, Beale and Loki So I, it, to me, I, I felt like it was a moment where we get to a place in the episode where Beale has to take over the ship. He has to be a threat. To Kirk, mm-hmm. and then we sort of introduce the thing. Okay, he, he can sort of roll his eyes in the back of his head and nod his head down a little bit, and then he's in control of the ship, almost like a Charlie X thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and to me, it felt like convenience because then also, as you mentioned with the phasers, we we fire. Oh, but we also have shields built into our our matching gray sweatsuits that we use when we go jogging. Um, I, I, I thought, I, I don't know if that was originally scripted like that, or if it was just a matter of convenience. Oh, for, I don't know.
2: It, well, I mean, it, even if it was just a matter of convenience, I think it works exceptionally well. Um, mm. I think there's a, it's a pretty important point that, you know, <sighs> these guys, I mean, their hate is what drives them period. Mm-hmm. I mean, their mm-hmm. hate is just what drives them and they've gotten now to a point where, like Beale is cool with you know close to a billion people dying on Ariana's, yeah, because he's so driven by his hate. Um, what they have, their disdain for each other will destroy everyone. And the only way that that's able to happen is, there's like no, there's no real humanity to it. And because they have all, they have these incredibly, you know, these incredible superpowers, right? Mm-hmm. If this mm-hmm. is just, I don't know why I keep picking on them, but if this is just Sulu and Chekhov going at it, they, you know, Sulu's good with a sword, so a few people might end up getting cut. Uh, Chekhov might have a phaser, so a few people might end up getting hit, but, you know, neither one of them is super. And so uh, their hate is not going to be something that's going to destroy everybody. It might give you something to talk about, mm-hmm. but, but at the end of it, you might still be able to say, no, I'm pretty sure Sulu is right. No, I think it was Chekhov. Right, I mean, you might actually mm, still be mm-hmm. able to take sides on that. These two guys are just, you know, so incredibly powerful and so incredibly stupid at the same time. Yeah. Um it, it felt to me like that's what their power was about—the the the power of their hatred to destroy everything. Hmm. Um. I mean, you can say they kind of, you know, phoned it in as far as how they do it. Oh, he just so he just closes his eyes and this is done. That's okay. I'm actually yeah, perfectly yeah. fine with that because. It seemed to me to be kind of a statement of um you know how how destructive what they were, what they had become, yeah loki yeah. may may have a wife and kids or may have had a wife and kids, you know, and same for right. Beale; they may be you know great guys and they may be funny and you know they may be somebody you could talk to and all that stuff, and they're not any of those things anymore. all they are at this point is their hate, all they are is their ability to destroy um And that and that to me is sort of where their superpower. That's that's the point, it seems to me, of their superpower. There Mm. seems to be nothing you can do against this kind of hatred and stupidity.
0: Which well, is, it is interesting that, that it's kind of almost like an arms race thing where, let's say over the hundreds of thousands of years that they have evolved and they have evolved these powers, and yet they continue this concurrent line of racial hatred. Well, every time one of them comes up with a, a technology, a, a weapon, a, a spaceship, uh, whatever it may be, they also have the power to destroy or at least divert that weapon. You know? so, so then the chase just continues hmm. You
2: know? Yeah. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and of course, then you have the question of is it you know, is it a technology or is it something that's inherent in their race? I mean, it's another one of those. Well, right. Right. One of those godlike races. At least we don't have to ask. Oh, gee, I wonder if we'll ever see them again. Because. Yeah. Know, yeah <laughs> right. Well, we know. Two yeah. left. Yeah. And they're not reproducing yeah. and they will kill each other as soon as they get close enough to kill each other. So. Uh, yeah. But yeah, there's a little, um, you know, there's a little bit of. Uh, well, all of them. There's a little bit of Apollo, (laughs) there's a little bit of the Metreon, there's, you know, all kinds of, not so much the Talusians, I think, but, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, just another one of those super-powered races. But it felt to me like their powers were actually important to the telling of the story.
0: Mm, Interesting, interesting uh Loki has a uh, a line that I really liked uh, when he's talking to the assembled crew at that conference table. He says that he only acts like a madman when Beale is around, thus proving Beale's point. I thought that was a great piece of logic. Um, and I, I of course, we watched the episodes over and over. But that was a scene that I watched over and over uh, because I, I liked his description of what was happening from his point of view, and and if only the situation were different, if only we could remove him from Beale or remove Beale from him, things would be very different. He would be all right. Like you said, He, he maybe he had a wife and kids, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, but I, I thought that was uh, a, a pretty great line yeah, and just a, a great moment for this episode. Yeah.
2: It's an interesting, I mean, it's an interesting take on the, you know, the hunted versus the hunter, I suppose.
0: Well, and speaking of which, you know, there was something about almost a a tiny bit of prejudice that because of Lokai and Beale having different positions, Lokai is the hunted, Beale is the commissioner, he's somebody with an authority from his planet, how they are presented to Kirk is very different you Mm -hmm. know loki loki is a guy who's in sickbay uh he he's not very helpful when they need him to be helpful he doesn't answer the questions he ends up below decks talking to the other crew members but it's beale who's sitting at the table having the nice little sip of sorry brandy or whatever it is that they're sharing kirk wines and dines beale um and there is that sort of initial idea that we're taking them at face value Now, the whole time, obviously, Kirk is just trying to play it cool and wait for the orders and get both of them off his hands (laughs) because clearly he doesn't understand the depths of, of what they are fighting about. But that's something that I like about this episode, how we don't actually reveal that until the middle or just past the midpoint of the episode, yeah. because we, we hear about repression, we hear about uh, uh, fighting, we hear about all all of these terrible things, but we don't actually hear the basis of that until that <laughs> I love dinner
2: deal. I love it. I love when that happens. I love how idiotic their prejudice is. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. It is Mm -hmm. just oh, it's stunningly beautiful. And and I think I actually had the subtitles on for one of the viewings. And I believe Spock's exact response was, "Hmm,
0: (laughs) (laughs) right, yeah,"
2: (laughs) which is fantastic. That's just great. It's like I mean, I love the fact that the most logical among them is not like, "Are you kidding me?" This is why you're (laughs) fighting. You see why that's wrong, right? He's just like, "Yep." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of, so. yeah, yeah, the one yeah. thing that I felt like was missing, honestly, from this whole thing, there's nobody there's nobody benefiting from this. I mean, there's there was a beautiful mm-hmm. I, I have you paid any attention to the Sneeches lately?
0: Well, not lately. Yeah, but... <laughs> it's
2: something that always stuck with me. And I don't know why. And I don't think it was even presented this way. But for people who don't know the Dr. Seuss book with the Sneeches, right? There are Sneeches with stars upon Nars. Mm-hmm. and those that don't. So they have uh, there are star bellied Sneeches. And then there are snitches that don't have stars. And then this guy comes along and he's like, tell you what, I'll put a star on your, on your, on your belly. Mm. And it'll only cost you money. And they're like, great. So now I'll be like you. And then the star, the, you know, true star billy snitches at that point are like, well, nuts to this. And so they get, get their, you know, stars taken off. And it's back and forth, back and forth, and it's this, like, constant race to be, you know, to, to, to one-up. It's more of, I, well, I always thought of it as a racism thing, but it could be a classism thing, too. I don't know. At the end I'm of sure, it, though, yeah. nobody can identify who was what initially. And the only person to have profited from the whole thing is the guy who was with the star machine. Right. With the machine right. to either put stars on or take stars off. And that was kind of the one thing that was missing here, but I'm okay with it. Because, I mean, it, it it was just an excellent hammering home of how stupid uh how Stupid Prejudice Can Be, or, well, or Is, another... I Won't Even Say Can Be. In this yeah, episode, yeah, it is How yeah. Stupid Prejudice Is, period.
0: Well, and there's another thing. Uh, in addition to the prejudice, I, I, I thought there was kind of an exploration of propaganda here, just because whoever spins the best story mm-hmm. is the one that's trying to get Kirk's attention and, and get them uh, get Kirk to be on their side. So y- you hear the the, the kind of pity story from Loki and about how he was justified in his revolutionary acts, but then you hear the other side from Beale saying, well, these people are monsters and they, they would tear down our the very fabric of our society and hear all the reasons why. So I, I like this idea of just using the language to try to change the perception from the outside. I thought that was kind of a cool thing. Um, Beale has uh, an interesting comeback to uh, Loki, which I, I thought was one of the more reasoned things that Beale said. He asks for utopia in a day. It can't be done. Um, which I thought about, you know, in our own history, and clearly this is a parallel for our own uh, uh, interracial problems on Earth, um, but how do we atone for our past transgressions? You know, what are the reasonable expectations when we call out that this is a problem? How do we fix that? And wh- when, it, when and how is it reasonable to expect that that will be fixed? You know, we we still uh, constantly, uh, we, we still have this question about uh, reparations for uh, Native Americans who, who retreated so badly and nearly wiped off the face of the earth. And then how do we as kind of the, the occupiers of their country um, from a certain point of view, how do we make sure that, that we do right by the very bad things that we did? Um, and when when is it just to say that that's not enough that, that we want more
2: that's really interesting i mean i'm i'm hmm I, that is definitely a question that can be brought up in this episode but i honestly feel like the the, the message in this episode was a bit simpler
0: oh sure no, i totally agree oh, okay. i i agree that it was a much much simpler question um and and played beautifully but these are the other things that that came to mind for me. Uh, But but let's talk about the race thing a little bit here because uh, the the moment that I applauded was, you know, the appeal to logic and rationality from Spock as the way that his people got out of their worst problem. Um, And and that being an example to others, Spock gives us a lesson in evolution. And just to follow up with that, uh, it it is interesting that you, you talk to any geneticists now and they understand that race is a concept that has no scientific meaning whatsoever you know this this is a purely social construct when we talk about races among human beings from a geneticist's point of view human is a race mm-hmm. and then there are things that are not human but but once you say human that that that's all of us you know um so I, I like Spock being that, uh, of course, as he had to be the voice of reason there.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, once he finds something, that's then that's what it's yeah. about. Yeah. I mean, it really is kind of. I mean, that 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 Kirk didn't start laughing mm-hmm. at that right. point. Right. Um Although, right. of course, you know, he has nearly had to blow up his ship, and certainly this thing can take over his uh, this Sharon uh, um, individual can take over. Um, his ship at any time so maybe it's good not to laugh right in his face but I mean seriously Mm -hmm. once Mm -hmm. you find out that that's really all it's about it's kind of like yeah you guys are um, you guys are crazy of course then you gotta applaud Kirk for bringing the crazy earlier I don't even even care why you guys are fighting I will blow us all up okay so you may think you're crazy or you may not but you are but I am more let me prove it to you
1: Is it just me, or has this entire episode of Mission Log been a summation of Let That Be Your Last Battlefield?
0: Well, Ken, I'm not sure if we gave it away at the beginning <laughs> or gave it away in our, in our observations or gave it away in the, the topical discussion of the episode. But, uh, you know, here we are. We, we've come yet again to a place in our podcast where we get to determine if the episode holds up, if we liked it, and uh, what are the messages here that we can take away from it.
2: So um,
0: I, I think I know the answer to this, but I will ask you if the episode
2: holds up. I can tell you, and you and I have both met this one individual, um, Mm -hmm. and I kind of feel bad that I'm going to tell her story, because her story story is amazing. Um, We both met her at different times, but we heard Mm -hmm. the same story from her. We both know a woman who grew up in the uh, 1950s and 60s. She was still, I believe, living with her parents at the time that this episode came on. And the story that she has told us and that she actually told Rod, um, Roddenberry, one time, when well, a couple of times, I guess, because we both heard it different times. It was nothing to hear the N-word at her table. Mm-hmm. It was nothing to hear all kinds of racial epithets and hear all kinds of why those people are wrecking whatever. At the dinner table, at, at, in the house where she grew up. Yeah. And she felt like there was something wrong with it. But these were the people who raised her. I mean, this was her mom and her dad, you know, and there was something about it that just didn't quite sit right. But these were the people that brought her up. And so that's what she had heard. And so that's what she learned. And on some level, that's what she believed, even if it didn't quite sit right. And she has told Rod that it was watching this episode of Star Trek that finally made her realize, no, that I, I knew it. I knew that was wrong. I knew that was wrong, and now somebody, I and now I'm 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 hearing from outside of this bubble that I'm in that that's wrong, and I'm with them, and and honestly, this episode could have played stupid. This Mm. episode, I was prepared because it's been a while since I've seen it. I was prepared for this episode to not be good. Thankfully, this episode is good. But even if it weren't, knowing that, that I mean, and this episode in a way, and I love the technology stuff. You know, I'm huge on that part of I'm huge on that part of Star Trek. Mm -hmm. This episode is what Star Trek is supposed to do, that it did that with that one person. Because here's the thing. I know her son. Mm -hmm. He's a different man now than he might have been had she not been sitting there watching this episode of Star Trek because she would have gone, had a kid and raised him. And 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 what informed her life was the message that she pulled out of this episode. That's stunning to me. So does this episode hold up? This episode should be required viewing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, this episode yeah. very much holds up. And then there also, I mean, we made fun of the, you know, the the zoom, zoom, zoom on the uh, on the on the red alert thing. This episode is actually technically very good too. The yeah. the, the black white of the makeup is great. Uh, the editing is great. The the shots that they chose to take when they're about to blow up the Enterprise are fantastic. Um, something we actually didn't talk about. The, the film clips, I, I went and looked this up because I was curious. Mm-hmm. This episode um, aired in January of 1969. Mm-hmm. A lot, uh, many cities in this country had gone through uh, several race riots in the early part of 1968. So the video that we see or the film that we see of the burning cities in this episode, it's actually a film of World War II. It's actually a film mm-hmm. of cities uh, after bombings in World War II. Right. Um, but there were certainly things on the news in 68 that those buildings you know could have been from 1968 when we here on this planet are burning down parts of cities because of because of race relations or or lack thereof so yeah. i mean there's just there's just so much about this episode that is this this to me is easily top 10 I, I, and I've never put in like, OK, here's my number one. Here's my number two. Well, <laughs> right. Corbomite's number one for me still. But this is easily top 10, maybe top five. What about you? Interesting.
0: Well, uh, I agree with almost everything that you said. There's one little thing that I disagree with that I think from a production point of view, um, somebody watching this today who is not familiar with Star Trek, they're going to look at the makeup and the lack of costume budget and probably think it's a little cheesy when you see the the, the sheen of the grease paint on the actors. You know, the little mm-hmm. things like that that would not be done in a production today. Those kinds of things don't necessarily hold up very well but but um, I will say that kind of given our conversation with uh, Bob Orsi saying that this is an episode where you can't watch it and play that home version in your head while you're watching it mm-hmm. you can't sit there and kind of pull yourself out of the episode and go oh well the makeup is this and the costume is this um, you, you go into it knowing what the people of Sharon look like this is one of those episodes where the iconic look has outlived the the true value and true perception of the episode. So I really liked the opportunity to go back and rewatch it because like you I thought that I wasn't going to like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that I was amazed and I wanted to watch it over and over again which mm-hmm. I can't say for every episode that we have reviewed. Um but uh there's great tension built here uh This goes against what uh Fred Freiberger was saying that they had to put in action action action. no you didn't because you can build tension with drama, not just with action mm-hmm. um In fact, we have a little bit of that legal drama going on in this episode. Obviously, we have some great messages that we'll uh we'll talk about. This episode has been criticized for its low action, but I like that. I like scenes where you get to see the gears turning in Spock and Kirk's head while they deal with an issue, while mm-hmm. they deal with a topic. The action that we did have here felt out of place. When we get to the end, where they're just running through the halls, you know, I, I like the idea of having the, the burnt-out cities. Uh, again, from a production point of view, that would be handled very differently today. But that was a long scene of people running through the halls just to make it look like you had action. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Um, The other thing that I really liked here is the, uh, you know, again, an ambiguous downer of an ending. I mean, at least it's not a happy ending. Um, You know, the the analogy that this episode uh, presents here says that it's quite possibly... Not an easy fix for our own prejudices here on earth, whether it's racial or political or what what have you. We may just kill each other in the process. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't know if there's a better alternate ending here. In fact, I'm kind of reminded of A Private Little War because we were saying here's an episode that is about what's happening in Vietnam, that is about the arms race. And there's not an easy answer to get out of it. It just says here's where we are yeah and and we hope that we do better although i, I we're showing obviously in, in let that be our last battlefield an extreme version um but but certainly and hopefully
2: people were well aware of the metaphor that was being used in this episode Wait, um, forgive me how extreme a version i mean I, don't, I honestly i don't know that what we're showing is that extreme and 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 mm. that may sound crazy. No, I don't believe all life on the planet is going to be destroyed. But I mean, there have been a number of things. Because you want to make it racial prejudice, that's fine. Or if you want to make it, you know, religious ideology, that's fine too. There's plenty yes. of destruction that's still happening today. There there there, there there's <laughs> a ridiculous amount of of lives being lost today for no better reason than mm, I don't really like the way you're doing things, so I'm gonna. Yeah. And, and I don't know that it's quite that extreme. The one, the one thing that I would say is a bit of a difference between this and a private little war. Mm-hmm. A private little war, like I said before, seemed to not really know what the solution was. And that seemed to be the frustration of the whole thing. And mm. you, you don't even—it doesn't even feel to me like in a private little war. We know what the solution is supposed to be, and we don't know what the end game is going to be. There, we know that we're right. going to go ahead and stop them right here because we don't know what would happen if we didn't. Right. This episode is saying, "Here's what's going to happen if you don't do something." Do you know what I mean? This episode's not about like, "Well, okay, so what do we do for the next step?" This episode's like, let, "Let's just play this out." Okay, we're all dead. if if we don't get over all the stupid stuff that we're doing right now we all die so so I mean they feel I mean similar in a way and that they're both frustratingly difficult situations to solve but it felt like a private little war was about that frustration and that let that be your last battlefield is about why we need to go ahead and get through the frustration of not knowing what to do because Mm -hmm. because it, it it ends poorly for everyone even if it comes down to you know two guys, both of which thinking I am absolutely right about this, yeah, it still ends poorly. Yeah.
0: Well, it, it, is that the message then? Is that the uh, the message you got out of this?
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's yeah. uh, that's I mean that and the ridiculousness of the whole thing. I mean, yeah. There really yeah, is. Right. There really is no better line than Frank when Frank Gorshin's like, uh, "No, excuse me, I'm black on the right side and he's white <laughs> on the black side." Hello. I mean, that's that's uh, it's moronic. I love. I, I love. I mean, that's so, and you can't help but say things like, it's so black and white. It's laid out so black and white, how dumb it is. And, ah, yeah, I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of that. And I guess that's why I'm willing to forgive things like the production stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with how, like, this didn't feel like a bad production to me, maybe a little bit of the time. And honestly, when you say you see the sheen of the grease paint, I wish somebody had like powdered him. Just mm-hmm. a tiny bit, but that's really that's really it. And you know the zoom in, zoom out, of the red thing. But yeah, this episode just so yes, that was the message I got. What about you? My, was there another? My,
0: well, yeah. I mean, my my note here was that uh, overall, heavy-handed and smart do not have to be mutually exclusive. And right. I feel like that's a lot of the criticism on this episode. Oh, it's so obvious, so heavy-handed. Oh, look, he's black on one side, he's white on the other. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean that, that is the metaphor in the science fiction context that, right. that we're using. But it's still very smart and it's still very well written. We get to tackle the big things here. We get to tackle the stupidity of racism. We like so we get to have an evolutionary lesson from Mr. Spock. Um we get to talk about propaganda. We we get to, to see what our destruction looks like when we can't learn to get along you know we get to see all of that played out and and i thought it was fascinating to watch um and like i said the the tension that came from the drama of the episode was terrific instead of just action and i also thought that there's a message in here about not arguing to be right bill will destroy everything everything to be right Mm -hmm. just to win he is willing to destroy himself eventually in the end just so he can have the satisfaction of going to his grave knowing that he ended Lokai's life as well um and you know like you said before you you can you can sort of create a kingdom based on power but you can't create a civilization or you can't maintain a civilization based on uh purely on power Mm -hmm. um and I feel like that's what we have here. Ultimately, where does that, that desire for power, that desire to be right, lead? And, uh, and the answer is, well, nowhere. It, it leads to your destruction, you know. Uh, so I think the messages here uh, were relevant, will continue to be relevant, unfortunately. Um, but, but they were great. Uh, I'm, I'm very, very happy with this episode, Ken. I don't know if you got that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that they could all be as full as rich (laughs) you know but you know how many episodes are there 80 something 60 something 12
0: (laughs) total 79
2: okay 79 so you know they can't all be winners hey but the cool thing is we get to uh, spin the wheel we get to roll the dice and we get to uh, we get to try our luck again next week uh, which we will be doing John with
0: the Mark of Gideon
1: Some of the music for the Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. There seems to be a bit of poetry in the fact that such a colorful episode is, ultimately, black and white. And transmission now leaving Nerdist.com.